Welcome to the weekly worship podcast from the Presbyterian Church in Morristown, where we pause our busy lives to dig deeper into our faith. If you enjoy what you hear, please subscribe, or if you have someone in your life that may be inspired by this message, please share it with them. Let's listen to how God might speak to us today, and remember to be the good in your community, a community that matters. Friends, our second reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. Hear God's word to us. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one, but if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two or three on earth agree about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us, mold us, fill us, use us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh now on each one of us. Amen. There's an idea that I heard once very early on during my first year in seminary, and I've sort of been delighted by it ever since. In fact, I may have mentioned it once or twice during my first year here at PCM, and I'm sure this occasion will not be the last time that you hear it. This is the idea, that the ancient mystics believed that the human face is in the shape of a cross, so that every time you see another person, you see the cross. And when you see the cross, you think of Jesus. Isn't that a lovely idea? I mean, just take a look around the room. Take a look at one another. Look at one another and see in their face the cross. See the face of Jesus in the faces of others. It is a simple enough idea until you realize that you also have to see the face of Jesus in the people that you do not like the ones you find obnoxious or boring, the ones whose political views you find intolerable, the one who makes your life difficult, or as Jesus himself said one day, the one who sins against you. This last summer, there was an article in the Atlantic Magazine, several of you actually sent it to me, the headline, The Misunderstood Reason Millions of Americans Stopped Going to Church. The article is based on a book called The Great Dechurching, which finds that religious abuse and more general moral corruption in churches have driven people away, but not only religious abuse or moral corruption. The authors find a larger share of those who have left the church have done so for far more banal reasons. 
The book, The Great Dechurching, suggests that the defining problem driving most people out of the church is just how American life works in the 21st century. Contemporary America simply isn't set up to promote mutuality, care, or common life. Rather, it is designed to maximize individual accomplishment as defined by professional and financial success. Such a system, the authors say, leaves precious little time or energy for forms of community that don't contribute to one's own professional life or as one uh, ages the professional prospects of one's children. Workism reigns in America and because of it, community in America, religious community included, is a math problem that just doesn't add up. Never mind the fact that participation in a religious community correlates with better health outcomes and longer life, higher financial generosity and more stable families, all of which are desperately needed with rising rates of loneliness, mental illness, and alcohol and drug dependency. People are leaving church, no surprise. People are losing a sense of community because America in the 21st century just isn't set up to promote mutuality, care, or common life. Just this past May, the Surgeon General published a report, 82 pages, titled, Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation. He says, when I first took office in 2014, I didn't view loneliness as a public health concern, but that was before I embarked on a cross-country listening tour where I heard stories from my fellow Americans that surprised me. People began to tell me that they felt isolated, invisible, and insignificant. Even when they couldn't put their finger on the word lonely, time and again, people of all ages and socioeconomic backgrounds from every corner of the country would tell me, I have to shoulder all of life's burdens myself. Or, if I disappear tomorrow, no one will even notice. Our reading from Matthew this morning gives us one of two instances in that gospel where Jesus uses the word church. The other, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, is when Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they responded that some people say that he is Elijah or Jeremiah or John the Baptist come back from the dead. And then Jesus asked him, okay, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus tells him, yes, and you, Peter, are the rock, the rock on which I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. In both cases, the word for church is the Greek word ekklesia. It's a compound that, that combines the words ek, which means out, and kaleo, which means to call or to to be called ecclesia. It means called out. It was a movement of people who were called out or more specifically called together for a common purpose and not necessarily a religious one. An ecclesia could have been a community gathering like a homeowners association meeting or a, a town hall. And so when Jesus says, on this rock, 
I will build my church. He was saying on your answer to that question, Peter, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. On on your reply to that question, I will build my church, my ecclesia, my assembly. I will gather my people together around that response. The whole New Testament, in fact, all of the letters of Paul, the gospels, all of them were written to little ecclesias, little churches, little assemblies, The gathered movements of people who come together to say, with Peter, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. The church. When we speak of the church these days, we tend to think of it as a building. I go to the Presbyterian church in Morristown. Oh, is that the church on the green? But churches weren't from the start about buildings. They were about gatherings of people. When Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians, he didn't send it to a building in Philippi. He sent it to the people there. All of those books in our Bibles, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Corinthians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Hebrews, none of them buildings, all of them gatherings of people. The early church, the ecclesia, often was threatened with persecution or even death. And so they usually gathered in in hidden buildings or homes where, where the congregation would meet in secret. Every book in our New Testament was written during a time when it was not safe for churches to have buildings. It wasn't until the conversion of Constantine in the early fourth century that Christianity could finally come out of the shadows. And that's when churches started to have buildings And now all of these centuries later, many of those church buildings stand empty as millions of Americans stopped going to church. But the church of Jesus Christ was never really about buildings anyway. It's not about buildings. It's not even about beliefs. It's not about customs or creeds. It's not about doctrine or dogma. It's not even about this whole religion. It is about relationship. The heart of our faith is a relationship with God, a relationship that is made possible by the gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ. A relationship that that is made alive not on our own, but when we come together in worship and discipleship and fellowship. It is the most important relationship we'll ever have, and a close second is our relationship with one another. As we begin a new program here, not just at the Presbyterian Church in Morristown, but as the Presbyterian Church in Morristown. We are focusing on what it means to know, love, and serve God and others. For me, knowing others means being able to look into someone else's face and to see the face of Jesus, which I admit is often easier said than done. Fortunately, Jesus prescribes some very helpful advice for those times when we feel wronged, when we can't seem to get along. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. This is the first step in dealing with conflict in the church or anywhere, and it is a wonderful first step. It is both as simple and as complicated as it sounds. When someone sins against you, go and talk with them one-on-one. Don't ignore the disagreement. Don't expect someone else to deal with it. Don't hope that it will just go away. Don't post about it on Facebook. 
Don't get angry at someone else. Don't internalize it. Don't do all of the things that you and I are so tempted to do because at the time they seem easier than just dealing with it. Instead, go and talk with the person one-on-one. Tell them why you're hurt. Share with them what you are feeling, and if you can, do it one-on-one. But of course, that won't always work. The person who hurts us won't always listen to us, and if that happens, Jesus says, take one or two others along with you, so that every word might be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Keep looking for ways to bring about reconciliation and healing. If we can't do it ourselves, don't be afraid to ask someone for help. Jesus suggests that if a member refuses to listen to two or three, then tell it to the church, tell it to the people. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the whole assembly, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, remembering that Jesus spent a whole lot of his time with Gentiles and that the author of Matthew is himself a former tax collector. So there's that. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Do you hear that? Where two or three are gathered in the church, the assembly, the ecclesia, Jesus is here. Wouldn't you know? So when you see someone else, when you look at their face, you are looking at the face of Jesus. And just take a moment to consider what that might mean. Not only when it comes to conflict and when someone sins against you, but what about when someone walks up to you on the street looking for help? Can you look at that person in the face and see the face of Jesus? What about when someone sits down next to you in the pew, someone unfamiliar, someone you don't know? Someone maybe new to our gathering here. Maybe someone who's carrying a burden that you know nothing about. Can you look at that person and see the face of Jesus? What if the antidote to church decline, to the great de-churching itself, rests upon our ability to see Jesus in the face of others? If we take Jesus' words at face value, pun intended, then he's here now among us. Wouldn't we want to get to know him? To treat him as our honored guest? Wouldn't we invite him out to lunch? To ask questions, to break bread, to spend time with him? Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. And so, friends, I am am thrilled that this fall we are offering more opportunities to gather in Jesus' name, not only in worship on Sundays, but through the week, too. We're launching small groups so that we can get to know one another more deeply and personally. We cannot combat an epidemic of loneliness by ourselves as individuals. Audrey is starting a new online ministry for senior adults called Young at Heart. Those groups will be new, but we've got a whole host of other continuing opportunities for people to come together to. Sunday school and adult ed, midweek music groups, fellowship groups, and circles. I encourage you to pick up that Tower Tidings as you leave and see what's happening around here as we gather together in Jesus' name. You know, in this report from the Surgeon General, I was struck by something he wrote. 
He says, we are called to build a movement to mend the social fabric of our nation. Each of us can start now, he says, in our own lives by strengthening our connections and our relationships. Our individual relationships are an untapped resource, a source of healing, hiding in plain sight. They can help us live healthier, more productive, and more fulfilled lives. Well, friends, from the beginning, that is exactly what the church was intended to be. And it seems to me that the world needs that now more than ever before. So let's commit that we won't just go to church, we will be the church. Let's get to know God and one another so that together we might transform our own lives and change the world. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening with us today. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe. Or if you have someone in your life that may be inspired by this message, please share it with them. Visit us at www.pcmorristown.org or find us on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook to stay connected with our church. But most of all, remember to be the good in your community, a community that matters.